Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast created by the BSEI Trainee Committee in aid of the International Day of Radiology 2018. Today I'm talking to consultant cardiovascular radiologist Dr Giles Roditi who is based in Glasgow about his role in cardiac reporting. Welcome Dr Roditi to this podcast for the BSEI Junior Committee. It's a pleasure. Today we are talking about cardiac radiology and your role in that. So my primary interest is in training of registrars, which I know you're heavily involved in. What are your thoughts about the current training for registrars in cardiac reporting? I think across the UK it's very variable, to be honest. I think there are centres of excellence where people are engaged and do it, and there are other places where it continues to be ignored. But I don't think we're in an age where you can ignore it any longer, because if you're looking at any cross-sectional imaging of the chest, you're going to see the heart, and you're going to see the heart with its motion frozen. We didn't used to have that because the scan times were long and the heart was a blurry image in the centre and you could kind of ignore it. But now that the scans are quick, the motion is frozen, the anatomy is there to be seen, the pathology is there to be seen, and if you don't report it, you miss it, and there will be consequences to that down the road. So I don't think anybody who's reporting imaging of the thorax can ignore the heart any longer in radiology. Do you think we're doing patients a disservice at the moment by not pushing Undoubtedly, this? undoubtedly. I mean, we know that one of the biggest risk factors for cardiovascular disease and death is calcium on your vessels. Uh, and not reporting coronary calcium on vessels in patients who are, I'd say, young my age and younger certainly, uh, could have disastrous consequences in terms of potential life years lost, productive life years lost. So certainly I've had customers who, patients who I've reported coronary calcium on, who um, there have been issues with. I can vividly remember a patient with a high-resolution CT chest who I reported, who had lung pathology, but they also had very abnormal coronary artery calcification for their age. I reported it. The clinician didn't do anything about it, um, and the patient soon after had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and died. And the hospital was um, sued over that. So, you know, there are, there are definitely uh, potential medical legal pitfalls if you don't look at the heart. Mm. Uh, even on non-gated scans. So if we start reporting lots of coronary calcium, you know, your average CT chest for nodule follow-up, are cardiology going to have to take that on, see those patients, assess that risk? I think so. We have to put it in context. It's always in context. So, you know, if you've got a patient who is 85 years old in the west of Scotland with some coronary artery calcification, it's probably not something that needs necessarily mentioned or reported. But if you've got a 40-year-old person with heavy calcification of the left main stem or proximal LAD or something like that, and you don't report it, and that, that is potentially prognostically significant. So the amount of calcification has to be taken in context with the patient's age and its distribution to some degree. But that means we have to learn what these things mean, just as we learn all sorts of radiological signs and things we deal with in everyday life all sorts of things into context, just like the lung nodule you mentioned. The pre-test probability of that lung nodule being a lung cancer 
is predicted by its location, its morphology, the age of the patient, the smoking history, all these things are in the context. It's exactly the same with this current calcification. It's nothing, nothing to be scared of, it's just a little bit difficult, it's just the same. So why do you think that people are <clears throat> reluctant, even with the improving technology that means that we can see the heart? Why do you think people are still not happy reporting? I think just out of their comfort zone, they haven't they haven't had the training in the past, and maybe they haven't got access to the training that they need now. And you know, they've got busy lives, and they uh, they've got a particular niche, a particular specialism they've got, and they think they're in that, and they don't want to look out uh, over the fence to what's going on elsewhere. But unfortunately, as I say, if you're imaging the chest, um, you're reporting on the chest, you can't can't ignore the heart anymore. We used to be able to ignore it because it wasn't really reportable. Mm -hmm. But it is now eminently reportable on modern generation CT scanners. Uh, an MRI will often cover bits of the heart that you know, will be caught and motion free, and you'll see stuff. Um, so it's, I really don't think it's something that can be avoided. It's just part and parcel. It goes with the territory of the bit of the body you're looking at. I mean, there are, there are stories of cardiologists in the States doing cardiac MR who put saturation bands around everything except the heart, so they didn't have to report on any extra cardiac findings. Um, but, you know, that's, that, again, that's not really tenable. Mm -hmm. People also say, oh, well, the heart will be reported by cardiologists, but there's not many cardiologists, you know. There's a shortage of cardiologists in the UK just as much as there is radiologists. And when you're training as a cardiologist, only a small proportion of cardiology trainees come out at the end of their training doing cardiac imaging. Certainly, very, very small number, penny numbers, coming out saying that they're specialising in CT, for example. You count on the fingers of one hand the number of cardiologists I can think of that do a, a, a substantial amount of CT reporting in, in this country. Uh, it's really very small numbers. So I really don't see them as competitive. I see them as you know, potentially helping what will be a huge workload. If we're going to, uh, we're going to actually implement guidelines, be it NICE or SIGN, then we have to train as many people as possible to report these scans and report these scans in full. Uh, so a cardiologist who's been properly trained to report a CT scan of the heart, I don't think should just report the coronary arteries. They should report the coronary arteries. They should report the rest of the heart. They should report the bits of the thoracic aorta that are on the scan. And unfortunately, I think they should report the bits of the lung that are on the scan. Mm. And cardiologists I know who do that, I think, are, are very good at knowing you know, what their limitations are, and they're very good at picking up nodules. Nodules are not difficult to pick up, to be honest. Um, and again, there's lots of, predict lots of prediction rules. There's lots of guidelines about what to do with nodules. It's not difficult. You know what to do from the BTS guidance with certain sites and locations of nodules. It's not rocket science. So I, I think that cardiologists reporting these scans can report many of the findings that they bump into with no problem. They'll bump into stuff that they don't know about, but then I bump into stuff I don't know about sometimes. You know, I report all aspects of the body. You know, I'm, a, I'm a vascular radiologist or a cardiovascular radiologist, and I'll report anything a blood vessel goes to. But sometimes I'll bump into something in the pancreas. I'm not quite sure what it is, and I'll go and ask someone who I think might know. Same for cardiologists. They should uh, you know, know their limitations, but report the scans. If they bump into something that's really unusual, go and find somebody that can help them out. As I say, I don't, I really don't see them as a threat to what we do because there are very few of them. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not going to be a huge number of them. 
we need lots of people to be able to report cardiac CT. We have a, a shortage of radiologists and cardiologists. Um, do you think there's a place for allied health professionals to have a role? Potentially, potentially. Though, to be honest, I think radiographers are so short that they need to concentrate on doing what they do well. Um, I mean, for instance, particularly where I work, we have a, an MR practice radiographer who's got a lead role in providing education about uh, MRI. And, you know, I think there's a role for that for CT as well. That's sorely missing. And we, we need more education, ongoing educational role in radiography. I think more promising will be artificial intelligence systems. Um, for example, we were talking about lung nodules, that I see a role for AI in picking up lung nodules uh, as incidental findings. Mm. You know, I, I think a lot of these scans will come pre-processed off the scanners in the future, and it will, it will alert us as to whether there's a left main stem stenosis. Um, it will alert us as to whether there's a suspicious nodule in the left lower lobe. It will alert us as to whether there's a thoracic wedge fracture due to osteoporosis. Um, there'll be little software modules that do independent tasks, and these will be strung together. And part of what we do as radiologists or cardiologists in reporting these scans will be sort of overview findings of what AI has flagged up. And that will be driven partly by cardiologists. And cardiologists will want systems to help them pick up lung nodules. And radiologists, you know, probably will want systems to help them pick up coronary disease and calcification. These, these things are coming probably quicker than you think. Are you part of the group that are running projects here? Yeah, the... yeah. so I'm, I work in Glasgow at the Institute of Clinical Excellence and uh, there is um, work here with collaborative partners on AI systems uh, in diagnosis. And I know, that, I know that a lot of these companies have put a lot of research time, effort and money into building systems that will do mundane tasks. I think lung nodules will be a mundane task. I mean, if the government in the UK decides that lung cancer screening is a thing, it's something that is worth pursuing within the NHS, then clearly we don't have enough radiologists uh, to embark upon a mass lung cancer screening program. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of these scans will have to go through AI systems to pick up the lung nodules, uh, which will then be flagged to a radiologist to review. All the ones that have no nodules will just pass on. Obviously, there may be issues of consent for patients around that. And the patients who consent to a lung cancer screening test, they may have to have very explicit wording saying that this test is only looking for lung nodules um, because you know, maybe we won't have the system in place to actually pick up the incidental findings such as the thoracic aneurysm um, or the hiatus hernia. Mm. But, but then I but suppose you're, you're asking the cardiologists to not ignore incidentals on scans, yeah. I suppose. They would, but others, have and I know, for instance, in Utrecht, the AI group in Utrecht have, have a pipeline of multiple AI nodules for thoracic imaging that will pick up automatically thoracic aortic dimensions. It will mm -hmm. automatically give calcium scores on non-gated scans. It will automatically give bone density scores. It will automatically find lung nodules. I see it as an issue. I don't think it's a big issue, but it's something we have to think about if we implement screening programs mm -hmm. where the first read is maybe not a human. So if we go back to talking about the, the training of radiology and cardiology registrars, 
Do you think we do enough at the moment to expose registrars to no, cardiac reporting? Clearly not. Clearly not. And that's partly because we're not doing enough cardiac imaging, full stop. Um, coronary CT has been proven as the only scan that we do as radiologists in a prospective randomized controlled trial to save lives. We haven't done that with anything else that we use. You know, when we when we do MRI of the knee, we can't prove point to level one RCT evidence that it's going to save life. When we do CT scan of the head, we can't point to level one evidence that shows that it saves lives. When we do CT for lung cancer staging, we can't say that that actually saves lives. It's part of our everyday work, but we can't point to evidence that says if you randomize to getting a CT scan for lung cancer staging or not, which arm will come out better. But we can point to that now with coronary CT angiography. We can point to Scott Hart and say that if you are randomized to get a coronary CTA, then the result is that you've got a 50% risk of dying of the end point of coronary heart disease. It's an amazing yeah. statistic. So that's and that that evidence has come in since the NICE guideline revision in 2016. The NICE guideline revision said that we should be using coronary CT as the prime test for patients with suspected angina, either typical angina or atypical angina. The first test should be coronary CTA. And we're not doing that in the UK yet, despite this guidance now being two years old. Um, and to deliver that, you need a real step change. And that means having the people to do it. And that means training the people. So the British Society of Cardiovascular Imaging slash British Society of Cardiovascular CT, we've input to the Royal College of Radiologists for the curriculum for training that what we currently call level two accreditation is effectively part of core training for radiology training. So, you know, that is coming to say that as part of core, you know how to beta block patients for a coronary CT scan. You need to know the mechanics of how a coronary CT scan is acquired, the difference between retrospective and prospective gating, how to manipulate the images that come out to plane and reformats of the coronary arteries, knowing the anatomy, knowing the pathology there, potentially knowing something about the CADRAD scoring. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think there's a single radiologist trainee in this country beyond ST2 who hasn't heard of BIRADS and hasn't heard of PIRADS, but the vast majority have not heard of CADRADS, which is exactly the same thing. It's a simple way of grading and staging coronary arteries. So what do we do? Do we try and centralise the image acquisition into one hospital that then everybody has to go to to do a block and learn? Or do we try and have a, an attitude change with the current consultants to encourage reporting of cardiac findings in that way? Diffusely expose lots of registrar. Well, you can't overcome the hurdle of the fact that not every CT scanner in the UK is cardiac CT enabled. Mm -hmm. So the proportion is increasing. Um, and most hospitals nowadays will have access to a scanner that at least can be enabled to do coronary CT. Um, and a lot of a lot of them, you know, can have actually do have it enabled on the scanner whether they're using it or not. So you have to, to some extent, know where the scanners are, that the training will then follow that to some degree. But really, we do need scanners everywhere that can do this because I'm aware that not only should we be doing CT scans for 
they're not cold elective patients, but the recent onset chest pain suspected angina. But there is evidence emerging now from various trials that we should probably be using this slightly more acute mm-hmm. kind of hot group coming through the ED. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking a, a large number of patients in whom this test will become part of routine. I mean, you think about the number of CT pulmonary angiograms we do, pulmonary embolism, although a common disease, is still a much less common disease than coronary heart disease. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we do have to have a, a change in attitude as to what we deal with. And as radiologists, we have to look at ourselves and think, well, you know, am I doing patients any good? And I certainly feel the way the consultant contract is worded is that main priority for our time under the consultant contract, our prime call, is for unscheduled care. It's for the patients coming in through the ED. And it's a secondary aspect where we look at patients who are coming through the outpatient clinics, etc., etc. Now, obviously, that's important, but we have to sort out what's life and death imaging and what's wear and tear imaging. Cardiovascular disease, be it coronary heart disease, be it stroke, be it abdominal aneurysms, you know, these are mortal diseases. In my view, unequivocal that they are life and death imaging. MRI of the knee, sorry, I don't see it as life <laughs> and death imaging, you know. And it's the old patient with, with a sarcoma of the leg might need, and it might need an MRI, but the majority of MRI we do for articular problems, it's not life and death imaging. The NHS is going to survive in any way. We do have to prioritise stuff, prioritise life and death over wear and tear. So the BSCI trainee committee will do its very level best to try and promote cardiac reporting amongst the trainees, but um, it sounds like we have a way to go, have a bit of an attitude change in our departments. But it's a promising field. Well, it's just an exciting field. I mean, yeah. you, know, you feel better at the end of the day if you've reported some stuff that might actually save someone's life than you just reported the whole bunch of scans that are not going to make any difference, you know, and it's more satisfying. I've been doing radiology long enough to know which bits I enjoy and which bits I don't enjoy, which bits I think need to be prioritised. I do feel at the end of the day that often I have been helping people when I do cardiovascular imaging, but I like it. Thank you very much, Dr. Roditi. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast with Dr. Giles Roditi, President of the BSCI, discussing cardiac radiology and I hope you've enjoyed the other podcasts created to celebrate the International Day of Radiology. Thanks again for listening.